the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls so that we can answer any questions you have about the Bible, our faith, what we believe, and why we believe it. Maybe something that you're going through uh, right now in your life. We'll do the best that we can to answer. We've had a lot of interesting questions sent in. But we prefer your live phone calls. It just makes for a better radio show. 340-9585 for your live calls. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email us uh, by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call the studio is to use the hands-free feature of the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to the studio. A couple of quick things is all and then we'll get right to the questions. Uh, I want to remind you, as I told you I would yesterday, every day this week, December 15th, this coming, uh, or a week from this coming Friday, is going to be our children's Christmas play at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, You will have a blast. It's free and uh, JPAC is a really nice facility. Uh, You will really enjoy it. Uh, And then a couple of days later, on December 17th, we have our annual Calvary Chapel Christmas dinner. We'd love to have you come. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people will be there. Lots and lots of food. Uh, And we'd love to have you. So if you are interested in meeting some of our church family and... um, I'd like to get to meet you. Paula would like to get to meet you. We would love to have you come. You don't have to bring anything. Don't worry about feeling uncomfortable. You will be uncomfortable for about 30 seconds before you'll be sort of bowled over by the love in that room. So that's going to be at 4 o'clock on December 17th at the Shirts Civic Center. So um, put that on your calendars. We'd love to see you come. One more time, 340-9585. Let's go right to the phones and talk with Art. Art, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Hi, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Um, Thank you. I I really don't have a question. I just uh, called for for if you can keep me in prayer. Um, my faith is really being attacked. I mean, really, really, really. I I had a terrible two these past two years. I finally uh, this past month uh, got on dialysis and I can't see the light of day. And 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 not just that, my faith is is I mean being rocked. I mean, everything is falling apart with Pastor Art. Oh. I'm so sorry, Art. Jesus is near yeah. to the brokenhearted. That's what we have yeah. to remember always. You know, when when we're sick, uh, and then seems like other things happen, it's, it's hard to fight. It's hard to understand um, if you don't feel well that Jesus is close. But these are the reasons that we have to treasure these things up in our hearts. David said to 
uh, I will, I'll, I'll hide your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And, and we've got to experience God. And sometimes, Art, in the, in the position that you're in right now, um, you have to fight when you don't feel like fighting. And it's just something that you have to do. And, and as you do that, as you fight, as you are in the Word, as you are talking to the Lord throughout the day, He'll be right there with you. And even in the middle of difficult times, in His presence is the fullness of joy. Uh, in Nehemiah, we're told that, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when you have no strength, Art, uh, and it seems like there's no joy, um, His joy becomes what we can depend on. His joy becomes our strength. And it's the hardest thing in the world to talk to somebody who's really been going through difficult times, um, especially when it's connected to physical issues like yours is. Um, it's hard to tell them to fight, but that's when you need to fight the most. And the reason, Art, is because the, the devil will have no mercy at all. He won't have one bit of sympathy or empathy for you. He won't back off and say, you know, he suffered enough. Uh, these are the times when he wants to come and destroy. So we have to fight even when we don't feel like it. I'm going to pray for you now, Art, but I'll keep praying for you. And I would appreciate it very much if you would check in from time to time, either by calling the program or via email at the questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, I sure will. Thank you. Just let, just let me know you're okay, all right? I sure will. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, before Art hangs up, let me ask you to touch him, to give him strength, to help him see not only light at the end of this dark tunnel, Lord, but to see you. When he's weak, your word says, then he's strong. Because he has to depend on you. And I pray, Jesus, right now that he lays everything down and purposes in his heart by your spirit, by your power, to fight for dear life. Don't let the enemy attack, Lord. You know what art can take. You promise not to give him any more than he could take. And sometimes when it feels like we're at the end, you know there's more. Use this, Lord, to make him fall more in love with you than ever before. Please, merciful Jesus, do this, we ask in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. Art, I will keep praying for you. Thank you very, very much. Um, you know, as a pastor, and I've been doing this for a long time now, uh, you think you are, you understand what people are going through. Um, I've seen so much physical illness, and I've seen how the enemy uses it. I've seen um, sort of the overwhelming sense of fear that people experience. And I've ministered to so many that, that I thought I understood it, but, but as most of you in the radio program, in the radio audience know, I, I had my own issues this year early in the year. And, um, and until you're on that end of it, you don't really get it at all. It's much easier to minister to the arts of the world than it is to minister to yourself. And what happened in my, my life and in my home, thank God for Paula, uh, we just had the purpose in our heart to fight this thing together. We were going to fight. We are going to stay close to Jesus. We were going to hold on with all the strength that we have. And even when it didn't feel like we had any strength, Jesus was right there. And now having come out the other side of all of that, uh, I think the greatest thing for my, my pastoral role is I have a much more intimate and deeper understanding of what people go through and the way the enemy attacks, having lived my whole life exceptionally healthy. And then to all of a sudden, out of nowhere, because of some freak thing, um, nearly lose my life. I get it now. And while I hate what I've been through, this year, Art, and you'll say this very thing one day. While I hate what I've been through this year, I can tell you it's made me a better pastor. And I hope a better husband, I don't know. But God uses truly all things 
as he works them together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So Art will be praying for you. We've got a radio audience praying for you. Um, God bless you, man. I'm so sorry you're going through this. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that came in from Peter. He said, James seems to say that we are saved by works and faith. And I know that's what some churches teach, but how can I reconcile that with Paul's statement in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? Before I answer the question, Peter, you know, I've shared this on this program, but uh, every day um, on this, or before the radio show, just before 4 o'clock, we have a group of kids come in and... and uh, uh, they pray for the radio program. They pray for the people in the audience, and and um, and and a couple of the the boys who are 11 years old, they like to look at the questions. And when um, the first one read your question, um, he said, "When it comes, how can I reconcile with what Paul's statement in Ephesians 2:8?" And just without even thinking, he said, "Oh, we're saved by grace through faith, and that of your own is the gift of God." I was so proud. This is an 11-year-old little boy who's got tons of things to do and tons of energy to do it with. But he already knows his Bible. And he had the right answer for the question. He said, we're not saved by works and faith. We're saved by faith. Faith is a gift from God. But because we're saved, we're so grateful to God that good works follow. So the works are a result of our faith. And that's James' point when he says, uh, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. What he's saying isn't that the works save him. That is to misunderstand the passage. It's to, to misunderstand the entirety of the New Testament teaching. What he's saying is that works follow and others will see your good works. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the works necessarily follow because we're saved. They don't have any role at all in saving us. It's just sort of like the proof to the world. You know, what makes you think you're going to heaven? People don't ask that question of a man or a woman who is producing abundant fruit for the kingdom of God. That's what the works are. By the way, one other thing, Peter, here. The works that we're all talking about are the works described by Paul in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. You see, those are good works. When you're angry with your wife, I don't know if you're married, Peter, but if you're angry with your wife, instead of sinning in your anger, saying things that you regret, you simply pray for her. That's a good work. So good works have to follow. Jesus said that we've been appointed to produce not just a little fruit, but much fruit, abundant fruit. And all of that's good works. And those good works, the fruit of the Spirit that I just spoke about, those are the things that ought to flow out of the heart of every Christian nearly all of the time. So, Peter, there's no contradiction there. Uh, this is a passage of Scripture that they've been arguing about for nearly 2,000 years, and um, it's just because we aren't careful readers. We have to understand that the Bible cannot contradict itself. And so we know immediately as we read James that he can't be saying that we're saved by a combination of works and faith. The works flow from faith. They don't partner with faith in the act of salvation. So thank you, James. I hope that helps and clears it. 340-9585 for any live calls and questions. Here's a question from Todd. He says, Does God speak to us audibly today? Todd, the answer is unequivocally no. Now, I want to be careful here not to be misunderstood because God speaks to us sometimes so profoundly, whether it's as we're reading his Bible uh, or we're uh, at a, a church service being taught. Um, when God wants to get your attention, he's going to get it. And it can be so profound 
that it will seem as though it were audible, but it's not. It's not like you're really hearing it. It's just God making sure that what you need to hear is impacted on your heart. When I was called to be a pastor, um, it was so clear. It was I was in a car stuck in freeway traffic. It was as though Jesus were in the car with me. Uh, when God told me in March 4th of 1994 to begin praying for you people, the people of San Antonio, Texas. Now, us. It was as though Jesus were on that mountain with me. I was walking on a mountain at Bible college. And it was as though he was there, but he wasn't there in physical sense, and I didn't hear his voice audibly. So the way God speaks to us today is through his word and through his son. Hebrews 1.1 makes that clear. But he has nothing else to say. Now, one other thing. We always run into people who will say God speaks to them audibly. But you have to test that by the word of God. And we just don't see that. We know that Jesus spoke to Saul of Tarsus audibly. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the result of him hearing the voice of God, he was knocked to his face, on his face. And he was blinded by the glory of the risen Lord. If we heard the voice of God today, now he has spoken audibly in the past, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, this is my son in whom I'm pleased at Jesus' baptism. But today, Hebrews 1 says, he's spoken to us in son. In other words, the last and final thing God has to say to us is Jesus. The Father sent the Son to reveal the person of the Father, the character, the nature of the Father. Jesus came and spoke to the world. Now, one other caveat here, because this is important. There are places in this world today where converting to Christianity would cost you your life, or could cost you your life. And there are too many seemingly confirmed and nearly identical examples or stories of Jesus appearing to people like he appeared to the Apostle Paul, not with all of the glory and not with blinding people, but, but, but visions or dreams. God does what he has to do to win people's heart. Now, that's in places that are immersed in darkness, those places that really have no connection to, to what we would call church or the Word of God. So in some parts of the world, he's doing that. But here in this country, where we have so much light, the same would be true throughout the whole West and the world. There's no need for God to do this because he's already revealed himself. So he doesn't speak audibly. One other caution, I think this is important as well. A lot of us, we want to hear God audibly. And the reason we want to do that is because it's easier and quicker than hearing him in his word. God won't speak to somebody for sure if that person's not interested enough to open their Bibles and dig in and find out. Read systematically. Pick up tomorrow where you left off today. Don't just kind of go through the motions, but, but expect to hear from the Lord. When you need to hear, you'll hear. So I hope that helps. Thanks for the question. Let's go to uh, James calling from Cibolo. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, James. Um, I had a question. I was I've been reading through the Book of Proverbs, and I ran across uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty one, and it says, uh, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof." And uh, my question was, you know, uh, there's a lot of scripture that talks about, you know the words that we speak, um, sort of like let the weak say I'm strong and um, and verses like this. Uh, how, what's the right way to interpret and understand of this scripture and not take it so far like the word of faith movement where, you know, yeah. <laughs> sort of thing you speak, you know, it's going to happen. It's, and, you know, not have that wrong, uh, I guess, mindset what we see on TV and 
you come across people who you're talking to every day and don't say that, this and that, but yeah. it's the reality. It is true. What, your, what your, your words will snare you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what's the right way to, I guess, have the uh, biblical way to interpret and to apply that verse in, in our lives? Thank you, James. Great question. Uh, the first thing we need to know is, is that Proverbs is, is poetic in nature. So we're using figurative language. These are not passages of Scripture, uh, whether it's the Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or uh, the Song of Solomon or even the book of Job. Uh, these aren't um, verses that we, we make definitive doctrine from uh, in a New Testament construct. Um, the, the verse just before the one you read, read says, From the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips he is satisfied. So what we're talking about here is the, the words that we use, but not in a name it and claim it sense. But the idea here, the tongue has the power of life and death. With your tongue, James says pretty much the same thing. Out of the same lips, brothers, come blessing and cursing. These things should not be. Uh, the tongue, we have the power to, to destroy somebody's life. We have the power to destroy, to kill their reputations. Uh, we also have the power uh, in our tongues uh, to deny God. But we also, according to Paul in Romans chapter 10, we have the power to confess Jesus as the Lord. So uh, the tongue, what we say, remember what we say comes from what's in our heart. Uh, that's the power of life and death. Um, and those who love um, um, life will eat its fruit. Those who uh, are focused on death will will eat its fruit. And it's just the, the kind of way that we will we will um, walk throughout our our, our lives, whether our, our perspective is is uh, a godly one, a heavenly one, or an earthly one, whether we're positive or we're cynical or skeptical about things. These are really important things. But this is just a poem. The language is poetic. Um, and, and uh, you know, in Proverbs, especially when you get to these Proverbs from, say, 16 on, you got you got Solomon just sort of rattling off these these um, sort of um, recipes for living. Uh, and, and what he's saying is watch your tongue. Again, James says the same thing in the New Testament. Um, we have the power to curse and to bless. So that's all that's that's there. It, it's always interesting to me that when the, the faith and prosperity teachers uh, who are talking about the, 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 the tongue, the mouth, the words have, have power, they're always quoting these obscure passages in the Old Testament rather than going to the definitive New Testament uh, passages because they can sell what they're selling. They can uh, sell the lies more easily if people don't understand these things. So this is poetic language. It is it is uh, often very symbolic language. We know uh, I can't kill anybody with my tongue physically, um, but the idea here is that with my mouth I can confess Jesus is Lord and live. But with my mouth I can deny Jesus and die. And then we have to eat the fruit of whatever happens. So James, I hope that helps. But uh, I, I actually have taught uh, through Proverbs and uh, you can go to calvaryessay.com and uh, and listen to the teachings I did. I actually enjoyed it. I'm not sure anybody else enjoyed it while I was teaching it. But um, Solomon was very, even though he was poetic, uh, he was very practical. And these are some of the most practical instructions uh, that you'll ever get. So we've got uh, that whole library available at calvaryessay.com. James, thanks for the question. 340-9585. Here's a question from Grace that was just called into the studio. I have a Christian girlfriend who constantly talks about a male best friend that she has. She calls him her best friend constantly, even though he's married to another woman. She and the guy exchange phone calls, texts, and messages all the time. I think they've even met for meals. I suddenly mentioned once that if any other woman besides me called my husband her best friend as much as she does, I wouldn't like it very much. I really feel I need to call this to her attention, but don't know how to bring it up. And I'm also a little scared, too. What do I do? Grace, thank you for caring enough about your friend. You're exactly right. And I think the one thing you have to avoid is appearing to be legalistic. Um, um, it's simply inappropriate for a married man or a married woman to have a best friend that isn't their husband or wife. Now, I have a lot of friends, but I have nobody in my life like Paula. 
Uh, there's nobody who's always and only wanted the best for me. And so I can trust her. Now, the other problem would be, imagine how she would feel if I was having lunch with somebody else and I was sharing secrets from my heart that I wouldn't share with Paula. I mean, that would be uh, a very um, poor way to treat the, the woman that I say I love. So I think it's very, very important that you point this out to her and you do it in love. You simply tell her that, you know, I love you. You're my friend. I care deeply about you. However, something you keep talking about is troubling me. And there's trouble ahead. I promise you there's trouble ahead. When this kind of a relationship um, uh, is fermented, um, it, it, it way more often than not leads to trouble. Now, your friend may think she's impervious to it or that the man she's talking to is impervious to it, but she needs to consider the wife of this man and the possible stumbling block that she's creating. So, so don't be scared. Just tell her, tell her in love and pray for her and trust that the Lord will reveal your heart to her. Grace, thank you for caring. Hey, we're at the end of the first half hour of the program. 340-9585 for your questions or toll-free 877-630-5757. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our last 30 minutes of this Tuesday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Derek, and I like this question too. Pastor Ron, is the Schofield Study Bible a good one to use? Derek, it's a great Bible. Now, a couple of things. I don't want to sound like I talk out of both sides of my mouth because I've said many, many times that I'm not a fan of study Bibles, and the reason is that we spend way too much time reading the comments, um, more time by far than we do in the Scriptures. And and, and I, I want to encourage people, all of you, to let the supernatural power of God's Word work its way in and through your heart. And that doesn't happen with words written by men. It only happens with the words that were written by the hand of God. So I'm not a study Bible fan. What I'm about to say about the Schofield Study Bible doesn't change that. The Schofield Study Bible has an absolute minimum of commentary or explanation. And when I say a minimum, uh, it's more a chain reference Bible than anything else. And that can be helpful. But C.I. Schofield was... Uh, one of the men that God used to sort of popularize dispensationalism. He is a moderate dispensationalist. Um, um, it is the correct theology. It is the, the, the best systematic theology to understand uh, the tension between the Old Testament and New Testament and to, to, to uh, apply the New Testament into our lives every day. Um, so while he keeps his comments to a minimum, um, and and you can't really read any bias into the comments or the explanations, uh, the C.I. Schofield Bible Study Bible is a very very good one. It comes in uh, the, the one I have, and I, I I've had one Derek for a very very long time. Um, uh, it mine's a 1984 version of the NIV. It also is available in the King James and the New King James as well. But I love it. Uh, C.I. Schofield is a man that was greatly used by God and is worth studying, but because he's a dispensationalist, again, which is the appropriate systematic theology to, to view th- Scripture through, uh, he has a lot of critics and detractors, but yes, 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 it is a great study Bible. Uh, there's another uh, chain reference Bible, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, which can also be very helpful for people that like to study uh, with just their Bibles before they get into computer programs and things like that. So either one of those are a really good chain reference Bible. Um, Thompson Study Bible, or Chain Reference Bible, or the Schofield Study Bible. Uh, either one of those is great. And Derek, I, I uh, um, applaud you for looking at it. Here's a question from Lisa. 
she asks, is church membership necessary in order to go to a church? Now, I think what you mean, Lee, say you go to church, but you want to know if membership is uh, a requirement that you ought to to uh, pursue. Uh, church membership is vital. Now, I am not talking, not talking about the way membership is viewed in so many churches in our contemporary church culture. Um, people come and ask me when they come, well, so Pastor Ron, what do you have to do to become a member of this church? Now, everybody in my church says the same thing if people ask. Well, if I want to be a member, do I have to go to classes? Do I have to do this? No, we just tell everybody, if you've been here more than twice, you're a member. You're part of us. We love you, and, and you're stuck with us, and we're stuck with you, and it's a good thing. But church membership, as we most often see it in denominations, uh, in Reformed churches especially, um, it is more of a controlling thing. Um, they make you sign covenants. Uh, they make you agree to give 10% of your income. The kind of things that, that the Bible doesn't even talk about. We're members of one another in the body. But church membership, the way we've come to understand it in this church culture, Lisa, isn't at all necessary at all. So before you sign anything, or before you're compelled to sign anything, uh, really look at the covenants they're going to ask you to sign. Your yes needs to be yes. And, and as a pastor, I've had other pastors send me angry letters uh, because somebody from their church has come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio and they'll say, well, how could you do this? Uh, we haven't released them from their membership covenant yet. Well, two things. One, I wouldn't know anybody comes from another church. They just come. Whoever comes in, we love. Whoever comes in, we teach the word. But to try to put a hold on somebody and hold a membership covenant over them when they don't belong to you, they belong to Jesus, is to miss the point altogether. Now, does that mean it's necessarily a bad thing? No, there are churches, uh, and membership has great benefit. But just make sure you understand what they require. Make sure that what they require is biblical. Talk to them about the tithing provision of their membership covenant. And then make your own prayerful decision. So um, being a member, the way we understand membership, uh, they never would have understood that uh, in the New Testament, in, in the book of Acts. They, they never would have thought, well, let me sign them up and commit them to these things. Um, they were just places where people came. They were lost, hurting, hungry, broken, needy, confused. And they got fixed there. They got loved there. So that's that's what's important. So it's not necessary uh, to go to a church. Um, some churches will put a lot of pressure on you if you go uh, regularly but aren't yet a member. Um, but but Lisa, this is this is a decision that's within your control. So uh, approach it um, circumspectly. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jackie. My husband has left me for another woman. Even though they are now married, I refuse to break the covenant we made together. Will God bring him back to me because I hold on to the marriage covenant? Jackie, two things. One, I'm sorry. Um, your husband left you for another woman. Um... And, and, oh, I hope this sounds as loving as I intend it. Um, for you, it's a good thing. I don't mean it's not a hurtful thing. Um, but if you're married to a man like that, you don't want to be in covenant with them. The Bible says if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. And I know a lot of people who live ungodly lives say they're, they're, they're Christians. But if they're acting like unbelievers, most of the time it's because they are. And for your husband to leave you and if there are children involved for another woman, that's the, the action of an unbeliever. That is not the example of a Christian man. And for you to hold on to something, a covenant that's been broken, is only to cause you difficulty and to cause you con confusion. We have had a dozen or so um, 
people, you can go online and find teaching about the marriage covenant. And if, if your marriage covenant has been broken by your spouse, then you hold on. You be faithful. Uh, you don't give up. You keep praying uh, because God wants you back together. Um, that is to miss the teaching in the New Testament. And I've tried to counsel people, and so, let me say it this way, most of the time, they've been unwilling to receive that counsel. One more thing, Jackie, when somebody is married to another woman, they've entered into a covenant with her as well, and that may not mean anything to them. But as a Christian, you can't have your sight set on a man who is married to somebody else. You just can't do it. Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to have your heart open to whatever it is he's going to do in your life. It's just not a covenant that you didn't break it. You can't keep it together. So you are free. You are single. You are free to stay single. You're free to remarry. But most importantly, you're free to walk with Jesus unencumbered. And Jackie, all too often, what I've seen happen in situations like the one you just described is that the ex-spouse becomes sort of a little G-God. Well, if God loves me, he'll bring my husband back or bring my wife back. Your husband, your wife has made the choice. And they chose to rebel against God. And you are free of them, unencumbered. Enjoy the freedom that God provides for you in his word. If you want to be married, probably that's the desire that God's put in your heart. But he has a man who will love you the way he wants you to be loved available for you if that's the case. So don't hold on to the impossible. When the covenant's been broken through adultery, Sometimes it's redeemable. I've seen a lot of marriages come back really, really strong from adultery. But when it's broken by adultery followed by remarriage, it's dead. It is just dead. And I'm sad for you. I'm sad your husband left for another woman. I'm sad because you're still walking around like you're attached to a man who's walking in death. Sad, sad. Thank you, Jackie, for asking. 340-9585. Stephanie wrote in this. She said, How can I get back into church after I was hurt by my church experience? I, I told you at the top of the program that we, uh, the, the little ones that come in and pray for, for you and for the radio program every day, uh, two of the boys, this is the same two 11-year-olds, they like to go through the questions and they're learning. They they answer them. And so one of them today, when uh, he read this one, he said, how can I get back into church after I was hurt by my church experience? He said, get up, get out of bed, go to church, sit down and listen. Stephanie, there's more wisdom in that 11-year-old answer than I can tell you. We spend so much time dwelling on our hurt, the offense that we took, that we miss out on what God has. So it's really simple. Paula always says, hands down, heart open to our ladies here at Calvary Chapel. That's what you have to be. You've got to say, Jesus, I know you want me in church. The fact that I've been hurt doesn't change that. So help me find the church you want me to go to. But you need to go and be a part of a body. You need to go and get fed. You need to focus on Jesus. He's never hurt you. He's done nothing but love you and save you. Take the punishment you deserved and pay the price for your sins that you couldn't pay, Stephanie. So don't worry about what people do to you. So just saddle up and ride. It's that simple. And if an 11-year-old gets it, why don't we who are adults get it? 
Well, you don't understand, Bezderon, how badly I've been hurt. But it wasn't Jesus that did it. Jesus is in the midst of his church. Stephanie, when you come to church on a Sunday, there are people in this body, wherever you go, who've been through what you're going through, some who've been hurt worse, and God will use them to comfort you with the comfort they have received from God. There's some who've gone through the illness that you may have been diagnosed or you're afraid of, and they can help you. Likewise, Stephanie, you've had a bad church experience. You jump back in and you can minister to somebody who's had the same experience you've had a short time down the road. So the idea is it's not about you. We come to church for Jesus. We don't do it for us. And by and large, most churches are really loving places filled with loving people. Don't let a few rotten apples in the midst, and there will always be some rotten apples in the midst. Why? Because Satan is by far, even more than Paula, Satan's by far my, my most faithful church attender. He's here every time the doors are open. He's always trying to wreak havoc. And if he can find a few bad apples, he's going to use them to do so. Don't be so sensitive that your feelings get hurt. Remember, we're supposed to be dead, even though we're walking around. And dead people can't be offended. And if you don't expose yourself to hurt, Stephanie, then you stop to live. So you've just got to walk with Jesus into church. That's where he wants you to be on a Sunday. He wants you to serve the people in that body. Not to be served, although that will happen too. But he wants you to serve them. He wants to use you to minister to somebody else who's been hurt. And when you do that, your hurts don't seem as severe. And Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who will obey him. He doesn't, he can't give the Holy Spirit in power. That's the context of the Acts chapter. To somebody who just stays home because, well, I've been hurt. Your focus is way too much on you. Now, if that sounds harsh, please understand I don't mean it that way. But you know, it's just not the right thing to do. Say, oh, I understand you've been hurt. Go slow. That's not what Jesus would say. He would say, follow me. And he's the key to freedom. He's the one who will rescue you from the pain that you've endured. So the way you can do it is to get up, go to church, sit down, and listen to the Word of God. An 11-year-old young man gave that answer. We can understand it. Thanks, Stephanie. Here is a question from Charles. Um, he says, why do some pastors refer to themselves as reverend? Charles, I don't have any idea. Now, I understand the, the, the honorific title. Um, you know, we call somebody who's been to college and gotten a doctorate degree, a PhD, we call him doctor. Um, when I go to my heart uh, specialist, I call him doctor. Uh, it's a title of honor. People call me pastor. Uh, that's what I am. It describes what I do. Um, the problem with reverend is that there isn't anybody who is. And so when when somebody wants to be called reverend, that's really scary to me. When somebody and I get called Reverend from time to time, uh, just like Paula gets called Pastor Paula from time to time, our first response is, "Oh no, no!" She says, "I'm not the pastor. I'm the pastor's wife." Um, when somebody calls me Reverend, I, I look at them and tell them, "Look, you don't know me very well yet. I am the least Reverend person you know. You can call me Ron or Pastor Ron, but I am not Reverend." There is one who is. His name is Jesus Christ. 
but to call a human being reverend or for a human to want to be called reverend um, is is concerning. And yet it's also sort of the norm. If you are ordained in a denomination, uh, pretty much your title is going to be reverend. That's what people are going to call you. I just don't know how anybody can really do that. Jesus said, call no man father, because we have a father in heaven. He didn't mean like a father, a dad, but he meant a father standing in the shoes of God. And when we call somebody reverend, you remember when the rich young ruler, Charles, approached Jesus and said, good teacher, and Jesus, what must I do to be saved, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, before answering the question, he said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. The rich young ruler knew Jesus was God and denied him anyway. But the truth is that same principle applies. There's none reverend. There's only one. And that's a title that man should not reserve for himself under any circumstances. So, Charles, I hope that helps. I, 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 my skin crawls if somebody calls me reverend. Uh, Alex, this is a question that's right in my heart. We've been talking about this. We're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, this coming Saturday at our pastor's discipleship class as well. Alex asks, should children be in adult services or kids' church? I ask because it seems like our children's ministry is more about entertaining kids and teens than teaching them. Uh, Alex, let me ask the first part of your que- answer the first part of your question first. Uh, I think kids ought to be in children's church. They need to be taught at a level they can understand. They need to be taught uh, amongst their peers. Um, church needs to be a fun place. Um, uh, when kids get dragged into adult service, they hear somebody like me drone on and on and on and on. You know, their 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 reaction to church is. Most often, oh, it's boring, i got to go. Uh, we have people in our church who are really, really gifted to teach kids at their own level. And they make it fun, but make no mistake, they teach them. And the second part of your question becomes even more important, because ministry for children really has become, in the West, about entertaining them, making teens feel like there's a safe place, making parents feel like there's a safe place for their teens to go and their teens won't rebel too much. So we make it a fun place. We went through a phase, hopefully, I think it's about past now, but went through a phase where all the youth ministries, high school and junior high schools, had to be beanbag chairs and sofas because you didn't want it to look like a church. We want it to look like a church. We line the chairs up in our kids' church, and we don't use curriculums. We don't play games. We teach them the Bible. That's what we do. Now, we do it, again, at their level, and we do it um, um, keeping it interesting. Uh, Our little tiny kids will have a craft or something that they'll make that's connected to the Bible passage that they're teaching, but we're not here to entertain them or teach them stories. We're here to show them who Jesus is, and the only way to do that is through the Word. So, Alex, this is something that's been so heavy on my heart. Because we're raising a generation of kids in church who don't know the Word of God. And it is heartbreaking. I mean, utterly and completely heartbreaking. So um, that's the best I can do, Alex. I I think they ought to be in kids' services. Um, But if all they do is entertain them, then maybe they'd be better in the adult service. Um, We we try really hard to steer kids uh, to, to the children's ministry. We do it for two reasons. We have severe space limitations here at Calvary Chapel. Um, but but I think most importantly, we need the moms and dads to be able to focus on the Bible being taught. That's all we do. I don't preach at people. We don't tell stories. I don't. We teach verse by verse. That's our Sunday worship service. Uh, and I want the moms and the dads to be able to hear. Let God's Word help them be a better mom, help them be a better dad. If we'll do that, 
then our kids will grow in the grace and knowledge of God and of his will for their lives. And what they know, what they've learned in their heart won't be able to be ripped away from them when they go away to, to, to university or they go get a job as teenagers and suddenly find themselves swallowed by a worldly environment. So, uh, Alex, that's my perspective. Um, three, four, zero. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for it. We're inside two minutes, so you don't need the phone number. Here's the last question for the day. Anonymous says, I feel strange when people in church raise their hands or shout during worship. Am I wrong? Uh, Anonymous, I think you're, yeah, you're, I think you're wrong to feel strange, but you know, you feel what you feel. Um, worship is subjective. There's no right way, no wrong way to do it. The right way is to do it with the right heart. So what I would counsel you to do is don't worry so much. I raise my hands during worship. Uh, I get to sing love songs to Jesus. Um, I didn't start that way for me. When I got saved, I was a grown man, 40 years old. And um, I, I, I remember sitting in a Baptist church watching men cry during worship or raise their hands. I thought, what wimps. I'm never going to be like that. Now I'm just like them. So don't worry about it. Just you worship God your way. Focus on Jesus and block out what people are doing. Uh, we have some weird stuff. Now, nothing's weird and disruptive happens. But um, we've got people that literally are ripped apart in their heart during worship. Very emotional. Others, like me, who just are grateful. So... I know it's not much help, Anonymous, but that's the best I can do. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate the phone calls. Art, remember, we'll be praying for you. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. God willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.